Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Michael and Kelly Lang about their book, The Miracle Child, Traumatic Brain Injury and Me. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I've published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion, all of which are available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Also, don't forget to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, we have two guests. We have Kelly and Michael Lang, and they are the co-authors of The Miracle Child, Traumatic Brain Injury, and Me. Kelly is a brain injury survivor and caregiver to her daughter, who sustained a traumatic brain injury in 2001. Kelly is a member of the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, serves on the Virginia Brain Injury Advisory Council, and is co-leader of the TBI Advisory and Leadership Group, and is former faculty member of the National Center for Advancing Advancing Person-Centered Practices and Systems Brain Injury Learning Collaborative. Michael Lang is Vice President of a National Association, and his work includes written and published articles, guides, and manuals in the fields of transportation and chemical industry. Michael and Kelly live with their daughters, Olivia and Anya, in Northern Virginia, while his oldest daughter also lives in the metropolitan area. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly and Michael. So happy to have you here. Thank you. We Thanks appreciate so much very much for having us. Yeah, and so I have known Kelly, well, I guess about seven years now um, through yeah. the Brain Injury Association and all of our brain injury work. Um, and I don't believe I've ever actually met Michael. Have I in person? I do think it was a, a while ago, one of the events, perhaps on Capitol Hill. No, perhaps, yeah. Some of those days kind of become a blur. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably the one where Olivia spoke. Mm, Yes, absolutely. When Olivia gave her talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, thanks so much for being here. 
maybe let's start <clears throat> with a little background. Um, so, Kelly, maybe why don't you tell us um, what happened, how you and Olivia um, acquired your brain injuries? Sure. Um, I was driving um, my two daughters at the time, Hannah and Olivia. Hannah was five, Olivia was three, to a Nutcracker Ballet rehearsal. And the last thing I remember is pulling out of my driveway. And the girls were singing along to a, a Blues Clues CD. And um, the next memory I, I have is all auditory. I have no visual memory um, of a, someone asking me, if anyone was in the third row of my minivan. And I said, no. And then at the same time, Hannah was yelling, mommy, wake up, mommy, mommy, wake up. And I soon realized there was something wrong with Olivia, who was sitting directly behind me in a um, car seat. Um, so we had apparently been hit from behind, and the cars kind of locked together, and we went across three lanes of traffic, around 60 feet and ended up suspended by a guard, from a guardrail. And he had hit two other cars before me that I never saw. Um, I was stopping at our light. The light was turning yellow at the time of impact. And then we were, all three of us were taken to the hospital, the local hospital, which did not have a pediatric trauma mm. at the time. So Olivia, when I woke up in the ER, I was told she had to be transferred, and the um, ambulance was on the way, the transport, to take her. Um, and I guess in my unconscious state, I had been talking, and I gave them the phone number of a friend because Mike was out of town, and I was all confused. Um, Hannah was sitting in the corner, and she had to, like, remind me that we had just moved, that Mike was out of town, but coming home. Um but I'd given the right phone number for my girlfriend to come and accompany Olivia in the ambulance because they would not let me leave yet. Mike, do you want to fill anything in on that that I forgot? <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. That, uh, as Kelly was saying that I was out of town, um, I had been laid off recently, about three weeks prior, so I had a freelance consulting job in the Northeast, and the job ended a little bit early, so I thought it was great for me to come home, but when I got home that night, the um, house was just very dark, and I was a little surprised, but I remember that everybody was at the Nutcracker rehearsal, and I kind of just unloaded some of my bags and other things, and then I noticed the answer machine light was blinking. Uh, this is 20 years ago when we had answer Right. <laughs> and uh, the second message was from our friend, Kristen, who basically said, and this is really the, the, the start of our book, how it starts off with, that she said that, uh, Mike, this is Kristen, that Kelly and the girls were in a car accident. And I just paused because I was just expecting that what she would say next, but everyone's okay. But she never said that. And mm. so I just knew at that point that it was time for me just to get into the car and go to the hospital that was close to us. So Kelly, or 
no one was able to get hold of Michael because you had already left your job site. And I'm assuming this was perhaps before you had cell phones. We had Um, cell phones, but they, you know, it wasn't as common to be using them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It wasn't on you (laughs) 24-7. No, and I had given, since he had been laid off, I gave them his old work number. I wasn't really, Mm, like I said, I wasn't really clear. Yeah. And I didn't manage to give the right house number, phone number. Um, but that number had, we had recently moved as well. And so that number had stayed the same. And um, my friend Kristen had also had thought, you know, ahead and arranged for her sister-in-law to come to the hospital to meet, to meet me so she could take me to the other hospital because I didn't have a car <laughs> and I was in no shape to drive. So, um you know, I'm very grateful that she, you know, had thought that through ahead that I would need transportation. Mm-hmm. And then Mike and I pretty much walked into the hospital at almost the exact same time because we met, I saw him walking in the hallway as I was walking in. Um, so we both entered the pediatric intensive care unit at pretty much the same time. And so, Michael, you know, to, what, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was about to say that uh, I was stopped before I even got that far by a security guard, and I was just blabbering that I needed to see my daughter. Um, so we got that worked out, and then I was stopped by, once I got to the correct area, the floor, uh, stopped by a social worker, and very pleasant and but I was just in no state. I, I was, this is another barrier, unfortunately, that uh, I needed to get back to my family and see what was happening because I was in a different type of shock thinking this just right. could not be happening. Ironically, I was not stopped because I, the nurses had given me a pair of scrubs because my pant, they had to cut my pants when I was in the car. And I had no shoes, so they mm-hmm. gave me scrubs. And I think walking in in scrubs, they just assumed I was fat. Sure, and that was actually helpful because <laughs> they never like noticed that I wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's, I was—I mean, it's kind of laughable, but that's like the most common thing I hear is that people lose their shoes in a car accident. Like the forest somehow sucks them off your feet. Yeah, but they made us to get my purse out of the car, which was good. Um, <laughs> but they didn't, um, yeah, the shoes, <laughs> for some reason, never made it. Um, but I was just thankful because as we were driving there, I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't have shoes. They're never going to let me in. Um, <laughs> so we were kind of brainstorming how I was going to get in there, and it worked out. Um, so, Kelly, I know that, for you, you know, they let you they let you leave. Um, at that point, was it were you ever told that you had a brain injury or concussion even? No, I was told I had a CT scan. Um, I kept telling them that my head hurt, my nose hurt, and they just said I was going to have bruising. And you know, um, that was it. And so, mm-hmm. 
while we, Olivia was in the intensive care unit, I one of those days I ended up going to the ER at that hospital because my neck really had a lot of pain. Yeah. wasn't sure if it was from sleeping on a cot um, for a couple nights in her hospital room. Again, they said, well, you'll probably need physical therapy eventually. Um, so my injury wasn't diagnosed, fully diagnosed until approximately two months after. And like Mike said, this was, well, now we're in 2002, and I um, was really lucky because my primary care doctor referred me immediately to a neuropsychologist for testing because they had an inkling of what mm. was going on. Right. And at that time, that wasn't very common to refer people that to, mm-hmm. you know, people didn't think yeah. about 20 years ago. They'd yeah. say, oh, you're, you know, you didn't show up on a CT scan, so you're fine. So I was just very lucky, although devastated when I found out the yeah. um, diagnosis. Yeah. And I mean, that even still exists today. The people don't have a clue that oh, yeah. brain injury. It's never even brought up. Um, you know, if you've been in a car accident, there's a really good chance you have a brain injury. Um, so with Olivia, though, that was a different story, right? You you guys knew right away um, that she had a fair, fairly serious injury. Oh, yeah. Because, so you were well, told as soon as we arrived. <laughs> that... Uh, she sustained a fractured skull. She was in a coma. Um, we learned later that she had to be resuscitated at the site, um, and so her prognosis was not very yeah. good. But at that time, and even as many places in our book, that sometimes I think our thoughts were not very coherent because there is just so much that was happening, and I think the the shock of what happened and the trauma that Olivia went through, was going through, and then hearing what Kelly's uh, injury was and what she was going through and being unemployed at the time with a, a, a new house, um, there's just... I, I think there, if there's one area or one theme in the book that might be a little inconsistent is certain facts might not match up because my perception at that time of what was happening might have been different than Kelly's. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be a an interesting theme throughout the book, but I think largely we're pretty much on the same page. Well, but I mean, you know, when you think about it, she was struggling through a brain injury and probably wasn't getting you know, the right treatment or enough treatment at the time. And, and then amplify that by the amount of stress that you guys are under, right? <laughs> um, we all know what stress can do to a brain injury, um, you know, so it's not surprising to me that you might have different recollections of what happened. I think even um, neurotypical people would have two different versions of stories even, right, over the same event. So, um, I think that that sounds pretty normal to me. <laughs> okay, so we get a pass in that then. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Um, so Michael, um, you know, you get home, you get these messages on your answering machine, um, you go to the hospital, and 
essentially you arrived at the same time as Kelly to find out about your daughter, um, you know, you'd been in the dark, right, for several hours while all this had transpired. Um, so what was that like for you when you first got there and found out, you know, exactly what had happened? Well, I, I think there was also a fair amount of confusion that yeah. I really didn't know what happened. No one really could tell me other than that uh, that Olivia was transported to a different facility because of the severity of her injuries. And obviously at that time, I didn't know the extent of Kelly's injuries. So when I finally get there and see that Kelly looked a little off, to say the least, (laughs) at that point, she said that she was okay. Well, uh, as a mother, I think her first inclination is to make sure that her child is well. But... I just thought at that time that she was in such shock and everything seemed to kind of move in slow motion. Um, And we're just at one point just looking at our daughter. um, And I felt a little bit of sense of relief to see that she was breathing. But then I realized that really wasn't her. That was the respirator that mm. was doing all the, the work. Um, it was just, uh, I think I was in the dark, <laughs> as yeah. I think we all were. And uh, we just didn't have any answers. And at that point in time, the doctors didn't know either. So uh, it was a, a wait and see about uh, her being in the coma and see what the prognosis would be if she were to wake up. And I say that word if because obviously there was nothing that was for certain. Also, when they said that if she were to wake up, we won't know if she'll be able to communicate, whether she'll be ambulatory, um, and so forth. So um, it was just... um, a, a tragic wait and see what yeah. would happen, how things would transpire. And remind me, she was two at the time. Is that correct? She was three, three and three months. Three. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just a little, little tight, right? Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, so how long essentially was she in a coma? When did she finally, you know, regain consciousness? Um, and roughly how long was she in the hospital? Well, one of the things she, she brought up is okay. really interesting. Uh, I'll just mention one thing and let Kelly continue. Is in the book, we went through a couple edits because the editors at the time, we had more than one at different times. They didn't understand that. You know, it's not like in the movies that when you come out of a coma, you're instantly awake and you might make a witty joke or something like that. (laughs) Uh, It was more of a slow process and certain receptors might be active. So, um, but I'll let Kelly continue. Um, Almost a week after they um, suggested they try to remove the ventilator um, and then which they did successfully and then they um, said they 
So they started to wean her off the medication that was keeping her calm. And that was a very slow process because as she weaned off, she became very agitated. Um, she wasn't, I wouldn't say she was awake, but she just was thrashing in the bed. And, you know, the fear was she'd start pulling out the tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ha- they had to find like a delicate, you know, try to wean her off, but not too quickly because we, they didn't want the agitation, which I've learned since is very common in brain injury, especially. Um, so like Mike said, yeah, it wasn't like an all of a sudden wake up. Um, when she st- started to come to, it was probably about 10 days following the accident. And <clears throat> then we brought um, her sister, Hannah. She hadn't, we hadn't brought her to the hospital yet to see her. Um, you know, how do you tell a five-year-old? Um, she knew Olivia was in the hospital. A lot of times she would ask how she was, and I'd say, well, she's sleeping. And one time she said, well, she sleeps a lot. Um, but when we brought Hannah to the hospital, that was the first time sound came out of Olivia. It wasn't words, but it was laughing, and it was very raspy. Mm. But that was a, a pivotal moment because we both looked at each other and knew that, okay, she has a voice. We know we're going to get that voice back somehow. But, you know, then those little things started happening where we're like, okay, there's a little bit more hope here. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, the five-year-old, it's got to just be so surreal. Like, they don't fully comprehend, you know, like you said, why is she sleeping so much? (laughs) They don't comprehend it, you know. So, I mean, not only do you have a three-year-old in the hospital, you know, Michael's been laid off of work. You just bought a new home and you also have a five-year-old that you're taking care of and you have a brain injury on top of it all. So Kelly, what was that like? What were those, what were those first few months like for you? Um, I mean, do you have clear memory of it or is there some fuzz there? I know for me, I had a lot of fuzziness um, the first few months after my brain injury. I don't, I don't think I had fuzziness. I was, one of the ner- the social worker in the hospital accused me of being in shock, and I got very offended. Um, <laughs> and looking back, I think that was part of my injury coming out, but no one knew it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There were times I probably reacted in a way that I probably normally wouldn't have reacted. And when I say reacted, I mean, like, reacted not in a favorable way um, with the doctors and the nurses, because I wasn't getting the information I wanted or needed. Um, I think the real fuzziness started when we got home after Mm. her inpatient rehab. So she was in the hospital for two weeks. We were told she'd be in inpatient rehab anywhere from six to nine months. Wow. And then she was discharged in two weeks from inpatient rehab. It was, um, yeah, whenever I tell people that, that's the reaction I get. Um, yeah. She made remarkable progress. However, I will have to <laughs> give Mike and I a little credit. We really pushed the facility. We pushed and pushed yeah. and pushed because we wanted her home. Um, yeah. We felt that if we could get her home, we then our family could start to heal. And that's when my symptoms came out for me. That's when mm-hmm. I noticed there was something wrong. 
It wasn't until we were actually home. Because, you know, in the hospital, you don't sleep well. There's machines going off all through yeah. the night. The nurses are walking in the room. So you really don't get a full, you know, good night's sleep, which I'm sure affected me also. But, um, and, you know, your nutrition isn't where it should be and um, dehydration. But I think once I got home is when I started to realize what was going on. Or I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. was not what I expected. And so for Olivia, um, you know, at the time, she was a little over three years old. Um, what was it like when she finally entered school? Um, when, you know, kindergarten, first grade, what what was that like? And then as she went through school, you know, did she face challenges? Did she have any additional treatment at any other point in her life? Um, you know, what did that landscape look like for her? Um, I can start off at Baby Kelly can finish that. Uh, I will say that during that time, I think that's the time that the word advocacy came to mind because mm-hmm. a three-year-old obviously is not going to be able to advocate for herself. No. And that's really energized us to make sure that she was getting all the speech therapy, all the occupational therapy, the physical therapy. We just wanted to make sure that if she's entitled to, if we pay for or whether or not it's provided to us, uh, we just need to accept everything. And that extended into the, the school system. So I'll let Kelly take over. I mean, school was hard. She definitely had some major deficits. Um, you know, behave, she never had behavior issues. And in some ways that was a detriment to her because she would kind of meld, you know, she would disappear in the classroom because the kids who had behavior mm. issues obviously got attention. Yeah. Teachers would assume she was okay. Yeah. Um, so I would meet with the teachers every year before school started and explained what to expect. And, um, you know, almost every year they came back to me afterwards and said I was spot on and they were so grateful that they had like a, a little information ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course, girls will be very, you know, catty and they're, as they got a little older, you know, the conversations in the lunchroom would be going, you know, a mile a minute, and she couldn't keep up with the conversation. Oh, she couldn't mm-hmm. quickly enough. And by the time she would respond, they'd be, you know, three conversations ahead. And kids start to notice those things, and they say stuff. And so probably in about fourth or fifth grade, we decided, Mike and I had been going back and forth. Should we tell her? Do we tell or not tell her? We never told her what happened. But we finally decided to tell her, and that was so. At that very, point, very hard. she didn't know that she'd had a brain injury. No, but she got pulled out a lot in school, like for extra reading help and extra math help. Mm-hmm. And she started to fight it and was said, "I just want to be like everyone else. I just want to be in the classroom all the time." And Mike and I, thought, you know, spoke about it, and we thought we have to let her know why this is happening. And, you know, only gave her the information she was ready to take on, which is very limited. 
Um, but that was a that was a devastating conversation, I think, for all three of us. Yeah, I would imagine. And now, how old is Olivia now? She'll be 24 in one month. Wow. And I I have the pleasure of listening to her give a talk um, at one of the Brain Injury Awareness Day events on Capitol Hill. Um, and it was, what, maybe three, four years ago? I don't know. Time flies. Like, this pandemic makes time irrelevant, I think. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, how is she doing now? She's good. I mean, she she embraced her injury after a while. You know, it helped that she got involved with a music therapy organization that performed and talked about all their um, challenges, um, which I think was very empowering for her. Um, and she's just trying to figure out what she wants to do. She's working part-time at a bakery, um, but she really enjoys cooking, so that I think is, you know, helping that desire. Um, you know, I think she's just trying to find out where she belongs. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing, Kelly? <laughs> I'm fine. I mean, I, you know, have continued my advocacy. Um, I feel very obviously passionate about that. Um, I'm excited for this book to come out. Also nervous. Um, you know, just <laughs> very vulnerable our goal has always very vulnerable, yes. And our goal has always been to help other people. Um, especially families, you know, the whole family is affected. It's not just the yeah. individual with the brain injury. Yeah. And that has always been our message. Um, you know, and if I can if we can somehow help other families cope with, you know, a devast you know, a trauma then we have been successful with the book. Mm-hmm. And Michael, what are your your final thoughts? Well, uh, something I have heard over and over again is when you've seen a brain injury, <laughs> you have seen a brain injury. Right. And what that means to me is there really is no textbook out there that is going to definitively describe the symptoms, the characteristics of a person inflicted with a brain injury. Everyone is going to be treated differently, and they should be. It should be tailored to what their needs are. And for someone like Olivia, who has this invisible injury because there is nothing that anyone would notice from her physically of having a brain injury. And I think it's just a wake-up call for really the medical community and really public awareness about brain injury and the uniqueness of everybody's injuries. So um, it's been obviously a learning experience for me to see this, how it affects Kelly, how it affects Olivia, and really the the impact that both of them have made on the account of their injury. It's it's really a pleasure to see the difference that it's making. So Mm -hmm. we, we do hope that that will continue and people will become more knowledgeable that it's not simply 
making sure that you have a helmet on when you ride a bike, it goes way beyond that. that that's yeah. one thing to do to help prevent or alleviate. But raising public awareness is, is huge. And there are resources now that are available that they weren't available perhaps 20 years ago. So seek out that information. It's there. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly and Michael, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. Um, if people would like to learn more and um, to purchase your book, uh, where can they find you? And um, what's, what's the best way to find you guys? The book uh, currently is scheduled to be released on August the 15th. It's currently listed on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, If you go to IndieBound, a a lot of independent bookstores Mm -hmm. have picked it up that you can order it. So um, pre-orders are being taken. And um, Kelly, um, what else can we say? Um, we have a website. Um, it's called the Miracle Child um, dot org, um, and you can leave, you know, messages for us there. You can read through. It has some resources, um, some information on brain injury, um, and there's a blog. Um, you can look either of us. I mean, we do Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. <laughs> um, you can find both of us and. I think you can find Mike on all those. Um, you can definitely find me on all those. Um, and, you know, our, like Mike said, our biggest thing is just, you know, educating other people and, you know, things like the, this podcast wasn't around 20 years ago and what a service yeah. yep. serves for anyone. Right. So I, you know, right. appreciate all the advocacy that all the other advocates have done. Mm-hmm. I did want to mention uh, one more thing, and that is that two organizations that have meant so much to us, well, uh, a portion of the proceeds are going to those organizations. One of those is the Brain Injury Association of Virginia, since we live in Virginia, and Kelly's been so active in, with them. And the other is the Loudoun County Volunteer Rescue Squad for, mm. among other things, saving Olivia's life and uh, helping making us a a family again. Mm, Beautiful. Um, So again, that's themiraclechild.org. And wherever you're listening in the show notes, I do have a clickable link. So you guys can go through and um, find that in the show notes. Kelly and Michael, thank you both so much for being here and sharing your story and just huge congratulations on your book. I know how much work a book is and continues to be. (laughs) So congratulations. And again, you can find their book um, on Amazon for pre-order and then it will be available August 15th. So thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also, I invite you to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. 
And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it for $5 a month with a Patreon membership. That's patreon.com slash Amy Zellmer. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.